0: Just to say, um, who is this man? Well, a week before this church started, remember we started on March the 11th, a week before March the 4th, um, uh, another church was started in south central London, covering the kind of Streatham, Brixton, Dulwich kind of area, and Andy leads that church. Now, now, so Andy, here's the guy who's speaking, so he's leading that church. You might ask yourself, it irresponsible, he's left his flock, you know, to come here and just, you know... Gallivan and all that but actually the reality is is that they're, they're less disciplined than us they're 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 a bit casual as a church they're, you know a few few issues so decided to meet at four thirty in the afternoon everyone don't go green with jealousy <laughs> yeah no no they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a brilliant church I'll be there preaching to them this afternoon so it's a nice little thing going on where they can come over here because they don't meet till this afternoon and I can go over there this afternoon, so it's going to be fun. So Andy, who basically, their church is in a similar situation, season to us. I just thought it would be great for Andy to come over. And so give him a very warm welcome, please. Andy Floyd.
1: Thank you very much. Is this on? Am I on? Right, I have to say, I've been really looking forward to coming over here. It is fantastic to be here, and uh, one of the reasons I'm so chuffed to be here is that you lot are just so leery. It's amazing. Hey! You're just so loud. Uh, so Steph's going to come to us this afternoon and be like, is this place dead or what? So it's great. It is fantastic to be here. And as Steph has said, <clears throat> I lead Beacon Church in uh, south-central London, reaching to Brixton and Streatham, Toleshill. We've got... Uh, um, We've got a stand on Stretton Market on the 15th of December, where, right on Electric Avenue where it hits the, uh, the high street. And we're going to be wrapping pre- presents for people free of charge, giving out teas, coffees, soup, all that kind of thing. So we're really looking forward to that and it's going to be great fun. And I just love the fact I'm here because, as Stepha said, we launched within a week of each other. And for me, this church is like a sister church to us. So although I don't know most of you in this room... I consider this church a sister church and we're kind of going on parallel journeys together and things have been going really great with us, I hear really good reports uh, from you guys here, I sent a couple of spies a few weeks ago to check out the land, no they, 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 went, they, they went of their own accord and they just came back raving, they said this church is amazing, the people are so friendly, the worship's so amazing, the preaching's awesome and I kind of stood there going, okay, do you want to, do you want to go there? Anyway. We meet at 4.30, Steph has said, so if any of you do like a line and you're kind of anywhere near, <laughs> then you're very welcome to come to us. No. But it is, it is fantastic to be here, and uh, loads has been going on. Now, who here loves Christmas? Yay! Christmas is just brilliant. Now, it was interesting, because we were videoing some people in Brixton the other day, doing some Vox Pops for our sort of Christmas service, and I asked the question of people, What do you think about Christmas? Do you know what the majority response was? Stressful. Stressful. Yeah, stressful. It's like, I don't like it. I get depressed at Christmas. And I just thought it was so sad. I just thought, man, we've got a really depressed area here. And uh, so I I, I just thought, I I couldn't believe it. I just thought, man, Christmas, Santa, presents, stockings, all that kind of thing. I love Christmas. And I can see from your reaction that you love Christmas too. It's a brilliant time of year. And it's great to start Christmas early. In my house, we start Christmas in sort of September, August, September. We start putting on the Christmas music. This is no lie. We actually do. Getting the Christmas spirit. Uh, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So we love to do things early. And, uh, and we love to do things early at Beacon as well. So we've, we're starting our Christmas series today, which uh, Steph is beginning. And today is the start of your Christmas series also. So I'm kind of kicking that off. And the next week, you've got your service, which is going to be like brilliant. Um, so I, I hope it goes really well for you guys. Um, but today I'm going to start the series and I'm kind of cheating slightly because I am not actually speaking from the classic nativity story. So I'm not going to be talking about kings and shepherds and sheep. and. There 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 oh dear. Has, anyone, has anyone been to the comedy store? Has anyone ever been to the comedy store in London? Oh, this is it. My, 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 bro- my younger brother, Neville, who probably half of you know, he's kind of f- famous in New Frontier circles, um, he, he went there once to do like a comedy routine. Like he went for, they have like this gong thing, so you stand up and you have to impress the crowd, and if you don't, you get gonged off, they gong you off. So he gets up, I wasn't planning to say this, but he, get, he got up, he kind of himself made it, himself look like a geek, stood up with a blue plastic bag and stood there, holding it up for a minute without saying a word. And amazingly, he didn't get gonged off. It was as soon as he opened his mouth that he was like a goner. So he only lasted three minutes, poor guy. But anyway, so it's a bit like that here, is it? So if I'm getting boring and that kind of thing, I'm out. Gosh. Anyway, great. So today, the passage I've chosen comes immediately after um, the Nativity story. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, just uh, look over someone's shoulder, muscle in. Find a Bible, and we're going to read a story which most of you probably know. And it's Luke chapter two, and verse twenty-one. So we come to a place where the shepherds have just been revealed the glory of God. The angels have come, and to glory to God in the highest. Today, to you, a Savior is born in Bethlehem, and we see all of that dramatic encounter. And then soon after Mary and Joseph had the shepherds visit, we come to this point uh, in the story where they're going to the temple to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. So we'll pick it up in verse 21 of chapter 2. So it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us this this afternoon, this morning, um, from your word. I pray, Lord, enlighten our hearts. I pray, Lord, soften people's hearts to hear your word. Lord, I pray, help me as I speak and bring these few words to these guys this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Question. Who here likes being on a mission for God and building God's church? Yeah? Quite a few people, yeah? Who here loves to be doing a million and one things for the kingdom of God? Not such a a kind of enthusiastic response there. But I think for many people, particularly if you're in a young church like Revelation or Beacon in our situation, I would say most people hopefully have a passion to see God's church built. They have a passion to see the glory of God come into the area that they're trying to reach. And I'm hoping that that is your heart. I know it's Steph's heart and I I know a few people here. I know that building a church is an exciting thing to do, but it's also a heck of a lot of work. There's lots to do, things to set up, offerings to raise, all sorts of things. But it is exciting to build God's church. And I don't know about you, but I love hearing about and, and having sermons spoken to me about mighty men of God. Don't you? Mighty men of God. Men like Moses, who brought two million of people out of captivity. Men like David, who slew this giant as a little boy. Wow, what a great man of God. And, and men like Paul who stood for God no matter what, who went through hell and high water and stood firm for God. I love men of God like that. I love to hear about people of God, don't you? It's absolutely fantastic. And you've got other people, you've got Herculean-like people, like Samson, who killed a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. Don't you like that story? It says says in uh, Judges 15, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go out and kill people today, but what, I'm suggest- what, what I am suggesting is that people of God are sold out for him, and they will go to great lengths to please him and to build his church. I love all that. But as I was praying for you guys and thinking about today, I felt drawn to this character, Simeon. And he's not kind of the usual go, go-getter, which people preach on. He's not the kind of mighty man of God, kind of the activist who's going out and doing all sorts of things for God. He's someone slightly different to that. But I felt drawn to this guy today and I thought it'd be really good to look at him and what he teaches us. He wasn't someone, as we see, who did mighty exploits, but we're told, the only thing we're told about him is he was righteous and devout. And some of the commentaries, if you read, do you read commentaries here? Yeah? (laughs) Some of the commentaries say that he was one of the quiet in the land. And you kind of think, the quiet in the land? That's inspiring. But this group of men were people who prayed and they watched and they were waiting for the coming Messiah. He was a man who knew God's heart. So we're going to look at him today. We're going to look at him today. I just want to say, point of application immediately. I think as a church plant, as a new church, we can become so preoccupied with activity... Power services, all sorts, that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can lose the reason why we're doing it. Sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that it's all about Jesus. It's all about pursuing and following him. And I think sometimes we get caught up in all all that we do, and it can distract us, quite frankly. And I think sometimes, also, we can get over-enamoured with kind of these mighty exploits. Now, I'm one who loves signs and wonders. Who here loves signs and wonders? Miracles, all sorts... We've seen, some good, we've seen some really good healings at Beacon of late. People getting healed, their legs mashed up, couldn't walk, healed, running marathons, things like that. So we've, we've, we want to see signs and wonders in our church, as do you. But I, what I want to say today is do not get over-enamoured with those things. We need to be those who are preoccupied with Jesus. And when I looked at this man, Simeon, as I was thinking about today... What struck me was this man's devotion, his single-minded pursuit of God. And what was it that drove this man? Can you see it in the passage? What drove this man? What drove him to be one who was devout, righteous, watchful? Well, the answer, I think, and it's not specified explicitly in the passage, is hope. This was a man who had within him hope burning. If you're all making notes today, do you make notes here? If you're you're making notes here, the first point of today is this. What is hope? What is hope? Now, there were two happily married 60-year-olds. They're a couple. My parents are 60-odd, so I can kind of imagine it. And they were on holiday. They had a nice kind of retirement break. They were on a glorious sandy beach. And as they were there, they came across a lamp. It was a magic lamp. They picked it up and they knew the story of Aladdin and they thought, oh, I wonder. I wonder if I rub this lamp whether something will pop out. And sure enough, as they rubbed this lamp, a genie popped out of the lamp. So the genie said, what can I do for you? You have three requests. Now the woman, she's a travel freak. She loves traveling. She, this, she, she basically said to the genie, ah, oh, I would love to be able to travel around the world, wherever I want to go, free of charge. So what happens? Poof! A load of travel tickets come into her hand. She can travel anywhere in the world. She's like really, really, really happy. And the, the man kind of looked at her, laughed, and thought, wow, that's amazing. And he turned to the genie, and the genie said, what would you like? And he said... I wish my wife was 30 years younger than me. Then, the man turns into a (laughs) 90-year-old. The moral of the story, be careful what you wish for. Now, in in our culture, in our society, when people talk about hope, often they talk about, what they mean is wishful thinking. It's like, make a wish... On your birthday, you blow out your candles, what are you wishing for? You close your eyes and you kind of vainly hope for something. And it's just wishful thinking, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah. When we talk about hope in our society, it's just wishful thinking. Has anyone here seen the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. What a great film. That film, did you know that film flopped in the box office? It didn't make the Oscars or anything, it was written off. But it's became, become one of the classic films of all time. It's a brilliant film. If you know that film, you know that Andy Dufresne, the central character who's been framed for a murder he didn't commit, is in the prison one day and he thinks, man, blow this. This is rubbish, this prison life. And he thinks, if only I could give a glimmer of hope to these prisoners. So what does he do? He kind of breaks in, gets past the guards and whacks on this record, doesn't he? And he has this music suddenly blaring out over the speakers. And the prisoners who are kind of working, doing their thing, suddenly stop. and They're kind of looking up at the speakers. Nothing being said around the place. Wow. And then you see Andy Dufresne sitting there looking smug and these people trying to break in and eventually they get him. They, they get him out of there and they shove him into a kind of solitary confinement for a month. Poor guy. So he's sitting there on his own for a month. Sorry. Um, and he's, he's stuck there in solitary. And then he comes out and the next scene you see he's coming to his mates in the canteen, sits down with them and they kind of look at him and they go, Andy, what possessed you to do that? You knew solitary would wait for you if you did something like that. And he said, hope. I wanted to give the prisoners hope. And if you know the story, Red, the Morgan Freeman character, says the following. He says, hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You'd better get used to that idea. Why does he say that? Well, because he doesn't really understand what hope is. To him, hope is a pipe dream. Hope is clinging to and longing for The impossible. Hope to him is a man condemned to life in a prison, believing the highly improbable scenario that one day perhaps he will no longer be bound by the grim walls of that prison and will be set free. And I think many in our culture look at it that way. And I think because of this, many see hope as a commodity which is weak and undesirable. If you're in a supermarket and you could buy any attribute, You'd be rushing around looking for strength, courage, love. All these kinds of things. Hope would almost be in the bargain bucket. It'd be like, uh, yeah, it's quite nice, but actually it's quite cheap. I think hope has been cheapened in our society. The other day, uh, some relatives of my housemate came over to my house. Uh, They were on their way to Amsterdam for a bit of a a drink and drugs binge, I think. (laughs) Um, They came early to our house and they were very leery, and it was about eight in the morning, and I was like, oh, gosh, I've barely woken up. No, I had been awake for f- since five, praying, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, they, ju- they kind of woke me up, and they were, they were there, and they were Welsh. Ooh. Okay, they were Welsh. Sorry, is there any Welsh people here? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, they were Welsh. Anyway, so, so they immediately, the conversation went to the football, to England, getting knocked out, and the guy said to me, he said, you guys did well, you're at 2 all, but then Croatia scored to make it 3-2. And he said, basically, you guys were reduced to hoping. You were reduced to hoping. And yeah, I guess we were, weren't we? It was a bit shocking. But it struck me, I thought, wow, that is what people look at hope as being, just something you cling to, something you're reduced to. The Bible calls this kind of wishful thinking vain hope. In Psalm 33, 17, it says the following. I've never seen this verse before. It's a great verse. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite its great strength, it cannot save. Yeah? Are you guys cultured here? You are cultured, yeah? You're educated people, yeah? Okay. There was a man called Thomas More, and he wrote in a letter to the English poet Lord Byron the following. But what is hope? Nothing but the paint on the face of existence. The least touch of truth rubs it off. Isn't that sad? Yeah, that someone looks at hope, and basically, hope isn't grounded in truth. In fact, truth is the enemy of hope because truth exposes hope for what it is—just a pipe dream. But what we believe as Christians, what biblical hope is, is it's something that is grounded and rooted in truth. So let's quickly investigate by going back to the story. In verse 25 of chapter 2, it says of Simeon that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This man was waiting. Why was he waiting? Well, he was waiting for a promise which God had given. In another translation, it says, instead of the consolation of Israel, it says, the rescue or salvation of Israel. This man was waiting for the promised Messiah to come, the one who would deliver Israel from Roman occupation, and more importantly, the one who would come and reconcile sinful man to a perfect God. That's what he was waiting for. In fact, if you like, he was in God's waiting room. What was he doing there? He was hoping. Who here likes waiting rooms? Who here likes waiting rooms? No? I hate waiting rooms. I absolutely hate waiting rooms. They're horrible places. You sit there waiting for a tooth to be pulled out or for a loved one who's had an accident and you're kind of just waiting there. And usually what you're waiting for is something which isn't you're thinking going to be very good. Grim places to be. But this is where Simeon was. He was in God's waiting room, but he was hoping. The English word hope is translated from the Greek. I know you guys are into your Greek here. Elpis, meaning a confident expectation. Simeon confidently expected that God would fulfill his promise. In fact, the message says of verse 25, it translates... Translates it lives. He lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for, Isra- for Israel. So it's confidently expecting something. My second point today, I've entitled "Waiting with Intent." I don't mean by that loitering with intent. That's what some of you guys were doing a little bit earlier, just loitering outside, making a nuisance of yourself. But that's not what I mean. Waiting with intent. Simeon's waiting was no passive activity. He wasn't kind of sitting in. The waiting room just kind of, I wonder what's going to happen. He wasn't kind of sitting there chewing gum, kind of feeling negative and down and like, I wonder if this is ever going to happen. He was, he was rather, he was like a little kid who kind of at Christmas time looks up to his dad and he's expecting a Christmas present. He's kind of waiting with assurance that this thing that he'd been hoping for was going to happen. I want to ask you this morning, how do you wait in God's waiting room? For some of you, perhaps you have been waiting to get married. How do you wait? Perhaps for some of you, you've been waiting for a revival in this city. You've been longing for it. Let me ask you, how do you wait in God's waiting room? Perhaps it's a job prospect. How do you wait? Particularly if what you're waiting for doesn't seem to happen. Will you moan and complain that you're having to wait too long? Or will you look forward with eager <coughs> anticipation? Because waiting doesn't necessitate hope. Just because you're waiting for something doesn't mean you're hopeful. When you're waiting for something, you've got a choice. Either you can despair and feel agitated and feel annoyed that it's not happening, or you can look forward with eager expectation and patience. How do you wait today? Simeon knew great joy when his eyes looked upon that for which he was waiting. Verses 29 and 30. You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. But how are you when waiting is like suffering to you? There's a passage in Romans chapter 5, well-known passage, verses 2 to 5, which says the following. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. If you're a Christian here today, you have been given the hope of glo- the glory of God. It's an amazing thing. I've got, I'll, I want a couple of volunteers to come out. I want someone who is big. Who's big here? Who's big?
0: Josh, Josh.
1: Josh do you want to come out? Alright. I want, I want Steph to come out. Uh Chris. And is there someone who's small here? Someone who's small. Someone who's small? Hey, well done. Okay, so small at this end, big at this end. All right, in between here. All right, what's your name? Stephen. Stephen, right, this is Stephen. Stephen is hope. This This is a precious commodity. What's your name? Josh, Josh is suffering, okay, right, do you guys like fighting, okay, I want you two to come out and have a fight, okay, come on, all right, so you're trying to get get past him, okay,
0: all
1: right, go, Supposed to stop him. Oh, All right, you're gonna have a fight now. The issue is, if this if this guy hope he comes up against suffering, and he thinks blow this for a laugh, turns around and runs away, it's going to lead to despair, isn't it? He's going to be like, oh, I can't do anything. I've given in. Yeah. But if he kind of fights against him, go on.
0: Go on, Steve, take him
1: out. Yeah. (laughs) All right. He all right. He's small at the moment. But he develops, he becomes stronger. Okay? And he becomes Aww. perseverance. His perseverance. And again, go. Nice. Okay, now, so, so, so perseverance did well there, didn't he? And when, so, when perseverance perseveres in the face of suffering, what does it lead to? What's it saying in that verse? It leads to Steph. It leads to
0: Steph
1: Liston. <laughs> it leads to character. A man of great character and integrity. And so, Steph, do you want to um, step up? He's it. oh. taken him down. Brilliant. And so what happens in this process? Yeah, hope leads to perseverance, leads to character. And then basically we get to this point, suffering is in the way. And suddenly, hope, which is small and tiny and it's kind of like struggling away, the two of them switch. So, do you, do you want to go to that end? Should you come to this end. Suddenly, we've got. So, we've had suffering and ba- basically. Sorry, I've got this the wrong way around. Come back. I've messed up the illustration. Suddenly, what was hope is hit now like this stocky, strong. Okay, suddenly we have hope and suffering. Is a lot smaller. And if we wait, okay, and we, we wait with hope, all right, then the suffering which we encounter suddenly becomes smaller to us, and hope becomes robust and becomes strong. And that's what that passage is talking about. Yeah? If we, if we persevere in the face of suffering, the the little hope that we might have that could become, I can't do this, becomes glorious, it becomes great, it becomes strong and robust. Okay, thanks guys, that's brilliant. Well done. <laughs> Biblical hope, given the right attitude, tends to grow in God's waiting room. The psalmist says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Will you wait in hope? Yeah? As you look to see this church grow, and you've got dreams of what God might do through this church. In your waiting room, will you think, ah, man, this is too much, and despair? Or will you think, wow, what a challenge, and let hope grow in your hearts? Okay, third point is this. Never stop hoping. Never stop hoping. What would you say is the greatest football match that has ever been played? 66? Any other takers? 5-1 Germany, yeah. Still as strong and vigorous as he was when he was 40. And I know at 40 most people give up. Well, they don't really. But he was as strong. Don't that don't you want that to be your testimony? That you waited and hoped in God and persevered with him right through to the day you die. What a great testimony. Abraham, Romans 4:18, Paul tells us, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Are you old here this afternoon or this morning? Perhaps you feel old. Chris, I know, has got a newborn baby. He feels old at times. He feels weak. I think that sometimes age or even disappointments that you've experienced can take away the bloom and strength of our bodies, but it can do worse. It can take away the life of our hearts until the hope that we once cherished dies. And we become dully contented and grimly resigned to how things are. Let me tell you this morning, don't do that. Don't do that. Be a people who are always eager for the best. Don't settle for second best. Don't allow disappointments. Don't allow waiting for a long time to cause you to step back and think, well, maybe this isn't for me. Keep pressing on. Simeon didn't stop hoping. He didn't stop prophesying. We see in verse 34, he says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against. I, I, I'm so keen for my people, for you guys, to be people who step out in your gifts, who move forward in God, who do things that are uncomfortable for him, who are ready to do that. Yeah? And here was Simeon prophesying as an old man to this baby. If you can prophesy, prophesy. Yeah? Whatever your gifts are, step out into them. I want to encourage you to do that. Never stop hoping. Why? Because the one in whom we hope is the one, only one who's able and worthy enough to give us hope. Okay, my final point this morning. Sorry, Steph, I'm nearly done. Fourth point. What will you do with this hope? Have you thought about this? If Simeon hadn't been actively waiting on God for the promise of God, he might have missed the baby, Jesus. You see, Jesus was brought into the temple like any other baby at this time. He was required under the law um, to, to have certain things done to him. So he's circumcised. He had to be dedicated. From the outside, this was just an ordinary baby. This wasn't some superman come to earth as a child with a cape. This was an ordinary baby. The manger would have been a bloody manger. There would have been a, It's a, it's a birth, for crying out loud. Esther, midwife, she's seen plenty of that. It wouldn't have been a nice place. It would have been loud. It would have been, ugh. He was an ordinary baby. He didn't glow like the Milky Bar kids in the pictures that you see. But because Simeon was walking closely to God and had been guarding the precious commodity inside of him of hope, when he saw this baby in the temple, he knew immediately that this is what he'd been waiting for. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Can you see in this child that we celebrate at Christmas time the hope of the world? Or do you despise him? Is he just a cute fairy tale, just a Christmas story that we celebrate out of tradition? Or could this be the most important true story in the history of mankind? Here is the hope of the world in this baby. He doesn't promise to improve your finances, help you stop smoking, or help you lose weight. He's not a genie in a lamp or a quick fix, someone who can be manipulated into fulfilling your desires. This isn't a prosperity gospel. But what he does do is he offers hope. Jesus' promises offer the only surety for the future. All other sources of stability are like promissory notes, they're empty. They may or may not be fulfilled. Money, homes, positions, even people are transitory. But this Jesus, he gives ultimate hope. And our God is a God of absolute integrity, endless resources, never-ending future, and as such, he offers us a superior basis for life. I want to finish with one last piece of scripture and then I'm done. And it's worth meditating on this piece of scripture alone. If you take nothing else out, Meditate on this passage. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 says the following. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. What a powerful image. Hope is like an anchor. What does an anchor do? Well, it holds a huge ship in place. Despite the waves and despite the storms, It holds it secure. And true hope, this passage tells us, enters the inner sanctuary behind Jesus, where he has entered on our behalf. That is a powerful image. This baby grew to be a man and he died on a cross. And through his death and resurrection, he's given us access to God the Father. And hope in Jesus takes us into the holy place where God is, behind Jesus. He's gone there before us. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to get there, but we follow Jesus. When we put our hope in him, we come into this place and be, we're reconciled to the Father. At the end of this passage, we read that Simeon could go in peace. Why? Because his eyes have, had seen salvation. I want to ask this, this morning, have you seen salvation? Because here he is. The hope of the world is presented before your eyes. And what will you do with this? Will you continue to aim at kind of the water droplets on the wall? Will you continue to aim at things which are temporary and which will ultimately fail? Or will you aim at the strong, solid wall which won't crumble and fail? Are you going to cling to the true and only living hope, the anchor that keeps your soul firm and secure through the fiercest of storms? I want us to pray quickly. And we're going to have some more worship. So I'd like us just to close our eyes. And I'd like to ask you, as you've got your eyes closed, I'd like to ask you, if you feel you're in God's waiting room right now, perhaps it's a job, perhaps it's a situation you've been waiting on for a long time. And you're perhaps close to the point of despair or you're tempted to give up and not continue hoping, I'd like you to stand just for a minute. And I just want to pray for you into that situation. So if that's you, I'd like you to stand right now. Great. I'd like just to read you something. Just listen to this. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colours, he worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are as needful in the skilful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned." Lord Jesus, I want to pray for these guys right now. I want to pray for each of them in the situations they're facing, the things that they have been waiting for, hoping for, the things which they're worried may never happen. And they're kind of wondering. Lord, I pray for your peace to rest on them. I pray for your grace in their lives right now. I pray that you would be with them and give them great strength and fortitude. Lord Jesus, you are a great God. Lord, you have given us ultimate hope. And you have come to these ones here to give t- true and genuine hope. Pray, be with them. Be with them. Oh God, mighty God, Spirit of God, come work in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, just let's keep our eyes closed. If those guys want to just sit down. My last point this morning was, what will you do with this hope? And if that struck you, and you've never put your hope in Jesus, the source of all hope, if you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'd like you just to raise your hand this, this, this morning. If you've never done that, and you want to, for the first time, say yes, I put my trust, my hope in you. I'd like you just to raise your hand, I'll just give a minute. we've got one any others any others want to say yes to Jesus for the first time thank you yep got another person any, any others any others want to say yes the ultimate hope this baby is not a fairy tale this is the hope of the world just raise your hands Thank you.